You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, episode number 80. And today we have Allison from Houston, Texas with us. And we're going to be talking about a topic that I think a lot of you women of strength need to hear. Because Megan and I are kind of lucky because we live in Utah, which still has a lot of work to do in the birth world. Don't get me wrong. But it's kind of easy for us to say, hey, um, if you want to be back and you don't have a supportive provider or hospital, then here's some hospitals that are supportive and here's some providers who are supportive. But I know a lot of you guys live in areas without that type of supportive environment, no matter where you go, or you have to drive two or three hours or longer for a VBAC supportive provider. And sometimes that's just not feasible. And so Allison today is going to share her story all about how she achieved her VBAC, even in a hospital that was not supportive of her birth goals. But before we turn the time over to Allison for her story, Megan has our review of the week. Yes, yes. And this one is from, I don't even know, N. Larson? Yes. And <laughs> Larson. I saw an M. <laughs> the L connected to the N. And Larson, <laughs> 5841 on Apple Podcasts. And she says, I love everything about this podcast. I am so glad that I have found this community that supports each other through having feedbacks and birth in general. So thank you, and Larson5841, for your wonderful review. We do love reviews and hope that you leave us a review. So if you have not, why don't you do that? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Google, you name it. Pretty much wherever you listen to your podcasts, there should be a review place. So head over, leave us, I hope, a five-star review, and let us know what you think. You may be the next one that we read on the podcast. Yep. Honestly, it's all about connecting. The heart of this company, it's not Megan and I. A lot of people would say that, like, we run the VBAC link. But mm -hmm. honestly, it's you. Mm -hmm. It's you, woman of strength, who's listening right now, that helps us keep this thing going. Because the reason why we started all of it is just so that we could help support you. So we could support people like you in your journey. So we could help doulas better know how to how to support women preparing for VBAC. And it's when we get these connections and our reviews and our messages on Facebook and Instagram and in our community and that discussion, that is the heart of the VBAC link. So help us keep that heart beating and come and join in the discussion and, and let us know what you're loving and come and say hi because we honestly just absolutely love hearing from you. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Are you ready? We are so excited. We are so excited because this is something that I really have been wanting to talk about more on the podcast, birthing with a non-supportive provider. I know Megan and I have both had births even here in Utah where the provider is not as supportive or... They will come across as supportive. 
and then kind of do a little bait and switch at the end or even during the birth. And it's kind of hard to battle and navigate through that. So we want to talk a little bit more about that at the end. But before we do, we have Allison who is going to share her real life experience with you all about birthing in in a non-supportive environment. So Allison, we would love for you to share your story with us. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me and letting me come share my story. Um, I'm hoping that maybe it'll help somebody else who's in a similar situation. Yeah. So I'm going to start with summing up my first birth. My husband and I had decided to start trying for a baby and we were actually able to pretty quickly. I was due June 1st of 2017 with the first one. And I had a pretty healthy pregnancy. I'm pretty healthy by myself. And so I assumed that the pregnancy would also be pretty easy and uneventful, which I have never really had anything major happen to me, like major surgery or bones or anything, which is good because I don't handle pain well. So I did some research throughout my pregnancy, like read books, watched documentaries, joined all the new mom Facebook groups, but I didn't do a whole lot of research on what to do if things didn't go perfectly. I just didn't think that that would never, ever be me. So we aren't from this area. We are right outside of Houston. We're actually probably an hour, hour and a half outside of Houston, but we're originally from Kansas. So when I got pregnant, I kind of just Googled for doctors. We hadn't lived here very long, and I just kind of picked one. And the first lady I stuck with until about 20 weeks, and then I actually made the decision to switch. I felt like she didn't listen to me and kind of rushed through the appointments. So I started asking around at work, and several people recommended a guy doctor, which isn't what I wanted at first, but lots of people recommended him. And so I think it's important to note that he was an older doctor, more seasoned, I guess, and he's been practicing for a long time. So at 39 weeks and two or three days, I started feeling some pains I thought could be contractions. It worked out perfect because I was teaching at the time. And that day was a Thursday and school got out for the summer on Friday. So I only missed one day and awesome. I went home on Thursday a little early, but I wasn't too freaked out. I ne- definitely knew something was happening, but I just kind of had the feeling that something was going on and kind of late low Thursday, Friday was kind of a lot of the same. It was contractions. They weren't terrible, but it was about 30 minutes to an hour apart. They're very inconsistent and all over the place. So that was Friday. Saturday, things kind of picked up a little, but I still wasn't having contractions closer than 10-ish minutes apart. And my husband and I both called the doctor multiple times, and he just kept saying that we had to wait until they were five minutes apart. And all this time, I mean, it was kind of spaced out, but like I wasn't sleeping, and I wasn't eating, and so it was kind of getting drawn out and exhausting. I think something else to note is that we pretty much had no idea what to do. I felt like all the research and books I read kind of went out the window when I was actually in labor. Mm. Like, 
we're here by ourselves and like we didn't have family around. So it's kind of just my husband and I trying to figure it out. And so Sunday morning, Saturday night was pretty miserable. They were, they were pretty close together, but still not at that five minute mark, which I took what he, the doctor was saying for word and we were waiting for that. But Sunday morning, I told him, we're just going to the hospital, and I'm not calling my doctor. <laughs> I was just exhausted and hadn't eaten, and I was ready for it to be over, or at least just needed some help. And so we packed up and headed to the hospital. I threw up on the drive there because Aww. it was over an hour. <laughs> so a tip for anyone who has to travel to a hospital is, Bring a bar fact. I was just going to say that. Seriously. Bring a bag <laughs> or a bowl or something. <laughs> yes, I did not think that I would need that. I'm not a car sick type of person. I wasn't nauseous before, but definitely when rolled into laboring. the valley spot at the hospital. <laughs> yes, exactly. We rolled in there and I was like, oh, sorry. I mean, we're kind of dropping off the car in a mess. But anyway. So we got to the hospital, and I was at four centimeters, which they admitted me, which was a huge relief. And I feel like when you get checked in, when you're first in labor to the hospital, it's one of the most tense parts because you're just, like, holding your breath, praying that you actually have gotten somewhere. Yeah. Please don't send me home. Seriously. (laughs) Especially after that long drive. (laughs) Yes. I did not want to drive home. So they called my doctor in, and he, from the phone, had told the nurse to start Pitocin. I don't know if it played any role in my birth, but it was my nurse's first day, and she was very open about that. So uh, we were in labor and delivery, and I got an epidural pretty much right away, which I was never against that from the beginning. I had planned on waiting as long as I could, but I just felt like I needed some relief. So when the doctor got there, he broke my water, and within the hour, I was dilated to eight centimeters. Wow. And that is awesome. (laughs) I think just being there, I just like breathed and I felt calm. And so, Mm -hmm. yes. So sometime later, I was checked again, and my doctor said I was dilated to nine centimeters, but I wasn't progressing any farther. And the nurse tried switching my position, doing things like that, but I wasn't making any more progress. So the doctor said that also baby's head was turned in a funny position, which is likely why he was kind of stuck. And that my cervix was swelling. He did let me push a few times just because I was so close. But with that swelling, he said we were gaining negative ground, so... He recommended that we do a C-section, and we complied just because we really didn't know any other options. In hindsight, it seemed like once we got to the hospital, everything was really rushed with the petition and breaking my water and everything. I honestly feel like I needed to just rest, and things might have gone differently, but we didn't really know any better. And So the C-section itself was a little traumatic. I was laying there shaking uncontrollably the whole time, which I've heard is normal, but continued for several hours afterwards. And I remember being amazed at how fast it was. It was like they take you into the the operating room and my husband wasn't with me at first. And then he comes in and it's like right as the baby's coming out. And then they they did bring him around and showed him to me. 
And my first thought was, oh, my gosh, he's a redhead because he's a little redhead and he was very red from the beginning. But then they whisked him away and my husband went with them. And so at that time, there wasn't like a nurse at my head, which there had been the whole time. And I was like, what was happening? Because he wasn't crying and I just couldn't hear anything. So I felt like that was one of the most traumatic parts of it is that I was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going on. But positively, we were able to do skin-to-skin pretty quickly. So they took him away, and then they brought him back. And I was able to hold him pretty much the whole time in recovery, which was really nice. The worst part, I feel like, was not being able to laugh. I remember so many times those first few weeks watching my husband learn how to do things like change a diaper and crying because I was laughing and it hurt so bad. (laughs) I totally, so. <laughs> I totally feel you. There was a show on TV, Impractical Jokers. I don't know if anyone has ever seen that, but we were watching <laughs> that. Yeah, me too. And I, I was like, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, because I, I couldn't laugh. It hurt. I was like holding my oh, stomach. No. It was hurting so bad. So I totally relate oh, to that. <laughs> yes, it's the worst. So basically, after that, everything was pretty normal as far as recovering. We were in recovery for an hour or so, and it was midnight on Memorial Day, so I was literally the only person in there. And everything after that was was pretty normal and what I expected. So that's kind of what happened with my first son that led us to a C-section. It was just failure to progress is what they said. So immediately after the first C-section, or with my C-section, my husband and I started talking about what would happen in a future birth. I think we weren't even out of the hospital, and we're just like, what does this mean? And at my six-week checkup, I was so nervous to ask my doctor because I felt like I knew the answer to what would future outcomes be. And he immediately recommended that it would be a repeat C-section. Mm. So I just kind of went with that and fast forward to a few years, a couple of years too. The second baby was also planned. And in that time frame, I had gotten pretty close to a friend from church. And she's all about birth and babies and everything that has to do with them. So after uh, the first, I had told her the whole story about what happened. And she agreed if there had been more support that Maybe the outcome could have been different. We did a lot of talking about options for the next one, and she actually had a home birth with a midwife team for her second son, so I got to hear about all of those options. We actually visited with her midwife. Uh, My mom and I went and had a consultation with them in Houston, and uh, while they were super awesome, if the circumstances had been different, we may have gone with them, but... It was kind of my husband and I together decided to pursue the hospital route. Kind of how we felt the whole time was that we wanted to be smart about doing a VBAC and we wanted it to be the best decision and we didn't want to throw out any possibilities that could happen. We didn't want to ignore the risks. So we just both felt comfortable with going the hospital route, which is, if you're very set on a VBAC, it's not always what could lead you there the easiest. Mm-hmm. So 
with that being said, we we may have left some windows open throughout the whole process that didn't set us up for success. So we had two plans. We had a plan A and a plan B. And plan A was to give birth at the women's hospital, which is where the first birth was, with the same doctor. With the first birth, I didn't know much about that hospital. And then afterwards, I think I was actually sitting getting my oil changed and I was reading a magazine. And it was like a parenting magazine. And it talked about C-sections and hospitals having different C-sections. And I read that they had, the women's hospital had a 41% C-section rate, which according to that study that was in the article was number four in the nation. Wow. So, yeah. And at this point, you're probably thinking that I'm crazy for having that be my plan A. <laughs> but Not necessarily. I, and I was that was sad. your intuition. No. Yeah. You know, everybody, even the, like, provider that most people would say is the worst for VBAC might be the right provider for VBAC for one for a particular person you know so no it's totally up to you like it's no judgment from us yeah Mm -hmm. no judgment from us we we both love you that is crazy that they're the fourth yeah number four that is that is crazy yes but you're not crazy (laughs) (laughs) thank you so that was the plan A. And I, I honestly loved the women's hospital, which is why I kind of wanted to stick with them is because I felt like everything else outside of what happened and having a C-section, I felt like everything was top notch. I mean, the care that I got there, the nurses were great. All the rooms were great. I I loved actually my stay at the women's hospital. So that was part of the reason that we, we felt tied to them. But plan B was to go to Ben Tom, which is another hospital in Houston, and also keep my same doctor. So I'll explain that. Ben Tom is known within the VBAC community in Houston because I joined all the VBAC groups as well to try to find out what providers were the best and all that. But Ben Tom was known as like the place to go if you want a successful VBAC. My husband and I did meet with a doctor there for a VBAC consultation, and she said about 60% of people who come there end up successful with their VBAC. But the thing about Ben Taub is that it's mainly a emergency trauma hospital. So they don't do prenatal care unless you're considered high risk, which I was not. And I liked that they didn't consider me high risk because really a VBAC isn't. So basically, I could walk in there in labor, but I would still have to find prenatal care, which is why I ended up sticking with my previous doctor. Oh, my goodness. So if I wanted to find a VBAC-friendly doctor that was known as being very pro-VBAC and very great about that, I would have had to try to establish with one of the few providers in Houston that were very known for being VBAC-friendly. And number one, they're really hard to get into. Mm. And two, I would have had to drive over an hour to get to them for each appointment. Um, That's hard work. I was working at the time. And with already one little one, I I just decided that that was not really a good option for our family, having to drive that much. 
So I decided to stick with my same doctor and at that time. And at my eight-week first appointment, when I first found out I was pregnant, I asked him again about doing a VBAC. The first time I asked, he said no. And this time, he said, we can try. So that kind of went, took him from VBAC not tolerant to VBAC tolerant. And throughout my pregnancy, I would randomly ask him about, are we still on track to do a VBAC? And he would kind of always say, yes, but. And that was always followed by him trying to convince me that a vaginal birth isn't as glorious as it seemed. So we kind of always had our plan A, but plan B, going to Bentop, was pretty much we were convinced that we would end up going with plan B. And also, I, I don't think I mentioned that, that my doctor, he he's had an outreach clinic where we are. So he was literally down the street, which is why it was so easy to get to him. But he did deliver it in Houston. So at any point, if he had decided to flip, we kind of just said, okay, well, I mean, we'll, we'll stick with him. We know his prenatal care is very good and thorough. And then if he flips, we'll just walk in at Bentop. Mm. And so then one day it was like, my doctor did a 180 on his attitude toward VBAC. I went in for, I don't remember what week it was. It was probably getting close to the end, maybe 30 weeks or so. And I went in and I hadn't asked about VBAC in a while. But that day I did. And he was just talking to me like, oh, yes, no big deal. And was answering my questions like it was a first birth, which is what I had always heard is how they should talk to you. Yeah. And having a, a VBAC, giving birth is like giving birth for the first time. And so it's not like you're a high risk case. And so I thought that that was very encouraging. Yeah. And so I ran home to my husband and was like, oh my gosh, we might end up delivering at the women's hospital anyway. Because we had really been set on plan B. And from then on, he had the same attitude towards it. And it was like, okay, yes, we're going to be back, and this is what we're doing. So everything about the pregnancy was pretty normal. My friend from church had also told me about the lady she used with her first birth as her doula. And so we met with that lady, and we ended up hiring her. Yay! She was, yes! We love doulas! <laughs> she was, <laughs> yes! She was amazing, and she was very experienced. She's actually really close to being a midwife, and so she just Aww. was super awesome. We met with her three or four times before the birth, and she actually lives close to Houston, so she was kind of our, our midpoint, and she knew all about the hospitals and, and stuff. And I was actually going to be her first VBAC, so I think at times she was even more excited than I was. I mean, she was just, she had everything ready and was ready to be back. And so that was also encouraging throughout is that she was so determined that we were, we were going to be successful. So for the actual birth, about 38 weeks, it was 38 weeks in a few days. Um, it was Friday night and I was having some Braxton Hicks contractions, which I had had with the second pregnancy since like 16 weeks. I had 
pretty much been having them the whole time. And so I still was just, I was like, this is no big deal. They were coming back to back, but I don't know. I was just like, it'll be fine. This is just normal. I'm going to tell you a little about my husband. He's absolutely the sweetest, most caring guy, but when he's stressed or nervous, he kind of shuts down. Mm -hmm. And so that night, he was like silently cleaning things. And that was after I was having the back-to-back Braxton Hicks and didn't think anything of it. And I had just kind of casually told him about them and was just like feeling my belly kind of way. But in hindsight, and he admits this, he definitely knew baby was coming. It was like his daddy instinct was bigger than my mommy instinct in that time. That's sweet. (laughs) Because I was in denial and he was just secretly like, okay, this is happening. I wish my husband would do that. Um, we just shoved everything in the closet when I was in labor. <laughs> yeah. So we went to bed that night and everything was fine. Then I woke up at 2.30 and I was pretty convinced that my water broke. Or at the hospital, they did a test and said it didn't. So I don't really know, but I just know I woke up in a wet spot and it was not pee. I mean, I, we know what's pee and what's not. So I walked to the bathroom, and then to my, also, my plug fell out. So I knew something real was happening. Awesome. And, yes, it was so exciting. But I was 38 weeks, so I was like, wait, hold on. So I woke up my husband, and he insisted that we try to go back to sleep and just get some rest. And I still hadn't felt a real contraction at that point, so we did. I woke up again at... 3.30 3.30 with my first contraction, so an hour later. Sleeping was pretty much out of, out the window at that point. I think I tried to go back to sleep, but if I did, it was for a few minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I already, already downloaded a contraction app, so I started counting them. Um, within an hour, they were consistently less than 10 minutes. So it was like within two hours total, I was down to less than 10 minutes apart. That's awesome. And they were over a minute long, so it was moving fast. It's time. So, yes, it was time, and it was scary, but it was such a relief that things were moving, and it wasn't looking like the last birth. So, side note, my mom lives in North Carolina, but is retired and was planning to come stay with us for an extended time so that she could be here for the birth and take care of our son and take care of the house while we were at the hospital. And I was actually due on August 7th, and her plane ticket was to come on August 1st. But all of this happened on July 27th, so she was not there. So I called her at 5 in the morning and said, I think you should get here. And she immediately got on the phone and was changing her plane ticket. So kind of spoiler, I ended up having him at 1.30 in the afternoon. So she was there from 5.30 in the morning, and she was in Houston by 1.30, so... Shout out to her because that was awesome. But her not being there meant that we had to take my son with us and just hope that she was meeting us at the hospital. So I also called my doula, and she tried to get me to come to her house first because I was insisting that I knew things were moving fast. But in our original plan, thinking that labor would last a long time and a lot of why we went with her was to get that early support 
because I felt like I was just so anxious. And that's what happened in the first time was that those few days of being at home and early labor, I just got so anxious that I just kind of quit progressing because I wasn't relaxing. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Yeah, that's probably something that you guys see a lot. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Labor can, can stall or slow down. And sometimes, like, I mean, we've seen it time and time again, where, like, women just hit this emotional wall. Well, sometimes it's the mm-hmm. body um, communicating and yeah. saying, oh, hey, I need a break. Yeah. I'm going to stop for a uh-huh. minute. Yeah. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's, like, a mental block mental that block. just needs to be let Absolutely. go of. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, fear can fear can manifest in a lot of different ways. And sometimes bodies just need to take a break and, like, slow down for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I definitely can see that. That makes a lot of sense. So in order to kind of cope with that, since she lived closer to Houston, we are, she was so gracious to open her house to us and say, you can come labor here. So that was kind of plan A. But I, when I called her that morning, I said, I think we just need to go to the hospital because it's moving really fast. And by 5.30 or 6, the contractions were 30 to 5 minutes apart. So I was really kind of panicking that we were still over an hour away from the hospital. (laughs) So um, we met there and had my evaluation. We went to the women's hospital. When I had called my doula, we kind of talked about it and said, okay, things are moving. It's looking good. So I had wanted to be with my provider, and if everything was aligning, then that's who I wanted to go with. And so that's kind of what we decided we would go to the women's hospital um, in spite of kind of the things there working against us and so that's what we did and we got there and I had my evaluation and I was at six centimeters so that was exciting after that I got a little crazy there were some weird things in labor and delivery they got the IV started and that was honestly the part I was afraid of the most because with my first they had to put the IV in four different times and it just kept falling out and that was just not fun but then we waited for my doctor and I was introduced to the first nurse and she was kind of an older lady who I didn't know at the time but my doula had previous experience with and she told me later on that there are a few people there that a few people ever that she's not gone along with and that nurse was one of them. (laughs) So, and I could kind of tell that just body language and, you know, I could just kind of tell. So my doula started up a diffuser of essential oils and the nurse immediately came in and was very confrontational about it. They got into a mild disagreement about it. (laughs) Don't call it an argument. But it was very obvious that that nurse was not going to handle different things, like trying different things. And so it was a little uncomfortable at that point, but it was such a blessing because after that confrontation, it was a long time before a nurse came back in, but she must have asked to be switched from me because we never <laughs> Good. saw her again. Get her out of there. <laughs> it was, yes, and it was so relieving because I probably would have asked for that. I would hope that I would have asked for that, but the situation just kind of took itself away and resolved itself. And so 
eventually a new lady showed up and it was super sweet. She was super sweet, but she couldn't find my chart. And so there was probably 45 minutes or so where no one knew where my chart was and we were so close to having to fill out the paperwork all over again. But it was found. And so by then, uh, my doctor had gotten there. And all of this time, I mean, I get to the hospital and I'm really ready for an epidural. <laughs> I told my doula that I was wanted to wait as absolutely long as possible. And with her help, that I was sure I was going to wait as long as possible. But then all of these things kept happening and it just like was delaying the epidural already. And so the doctor got there and he kind of started barking orders. He kind of went back to that first, the first part of my pregnancy with him being kind of just tolerant. And he wanted to start Pitocin and he wanted to break my water right away. And my doula and I had planned that we, we didn't want Pitocin unless labor was actually stalling. I wasn't completely against it, but only if it was really necessary. And um, his response was pretty much that we would talk again once we were settled in and with the epidural and everything. So they had told me that, the first nurse had told me that I needed to get two bags of fluid in me before they could administer the epidural. So I said, okay. And it was probably another hour on top of that that we were just waiting around for the fluid to go in and I look and I realize that the flu bag hasn't really gone down at me and I had no clue how long it should take so I just didn't know and when the new nurse got there she was looking at it and the first lady hadn't undone the clip so there was no fluid draining so it was like another hour that we were just kind of buying time and I was miserable through my contractions. <laughs> mm. And so by the time I got the epidural, in hindsight, I was pretty close to when I actually started pushing. It was maybe two hours. And throughout all of this, it was really perfect that we had a doula with us because my husband was largely in part taking care of the two-year-old. And they had to take walks down the hall and eat snacks and go do all these potty runs. And so we we didn't really have any idea of how quick baby would be here. And my mom was on the way, so we just didn't have anyone come get him. We had a couple of backups, but we just didn't. We just thought she'll be here and it'll be fine. So I think mostly my son was oblivious to what was going on. He was just bored. Mm-hmm. Um, but my doula was able to be right there kind of meeting my needs through every contraction and which was perfect so when I was about to get my epidural everyone had to leave the room as usual so it was just me and that new nurse and it was probably one of my favorite moments from the whole birth because while the hospital seemed be back tolerant and my provider was kind of being pushy and be back tolerant the nurse, she just comes up to me, everyone else was gone, and she just says, what do you want? What, Aww. how do you want it to go? And so I just told her what I wanted, and she said, okay, that's what we're going to do. And that is so it was good. just so, it was, it was a huge relief. And so I guess even in spite of lots of other things being against it, 
there still can be that one person who is on your side. Um, That's true. That is so true. You got to look for those people. You got to look for those people. Yep. And I think definitely, I mean, if somebody isn't on your side and wanting what you want, then kick them out. Which, yes. You can always ask for a new nurse. Like I just, I want, I wish people knew that. Like if there's a nurse that is not getting along with you or a nurse that you just feels grumpy or that doesn't get along with your doula or your husband or whatever, then you can always request a new nurse. You always can. And they'll replace one. Or what I like to tell my clients is go into like when you get going to get admitted at the hospital, ask for a nurse that is familiar with hypnobirthing. Even if you're not planning to do a hypnobirth, because the people that are familiar with hypnobirthing and like supporting hypnobirths tend to be more on like the patient side and the supportive side and like they're quiet and respectful and things like that if they know that you're planning a hypnobirth. And so I always kind of like you can request what kind of nurse you want when you go into the hospital. And a lot of people just don't know that. That is awesome. That's something I wish I had looked more into with the hypnobirthing. So my doctor came back in after the epidural was in and he suggested again that we start Pitocin. I actually gave in because he checked me again and it was like from before the epidural to that point, I hadn't progressed anymore. I was still at like six or seven. And so he suggested that we start it and I said, okay, because I really didn't want to stall, but I didn't really want the Pitocin, but I gave in and I said, okay. So another blessing that happened was that, kind of a blessing in disguise, was that at that time, baby's heart rate dropped. And so it dropped and then my doula and the nurse immediately jumped on it and they were moving me around and got the oxygen. And so it was, it came right back up. It was okay. And so when that happens, they can't administer Pitocin for, what is it, like 30 minutes or so? Interesting. And so it was like every time that that happened, it would happen and then it would be the 30, 45 minutes and they would say, okay, we're about to do the Pitocin. And it was literally sitting in our room waiting to be put on the IV. But it was like every time we'd get close to that time limit, his heart rate would do a little dip, and so that it would restart our clock. So we ended up kind of going through that pattern where his heart rate dipping is not a good thing, but it was happening just so, just enough that I never had to get the Pitocin. All of a sudden, it was time to push, and I was at 10. Good. That kind of worked out in your favor, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It did. And they were so awesome, the nurse and the doula, about just moving me around. And my doula actually said, he's sitting on the cord. I know he's sitting on the cord. And so they just changing uh, positions helps. Me. Mm-hmm. So we get, to, we get to pushing. And it was not what I expected in a few ways. It was one way was that it was very relaxed and just kind of the casualness of it. And I'm sure it's because I had the epidural. I know that it was because I wasn't feeling anything, but that was just kind of something that I hadn't expected. It was like, okay, we're going to give three good pushes, and then we would just small chat and be like, oh, I think it's going to rain this afternoon, and 
then, okay, we're going to push again. And so it was just very casual and calm. And I think it was also because I had my doula and she was just coaching me through all of it. And then also what I didn't expect was how much you actually feel with the epidural. I was shocked at, like, you can feel everything. It's just without the pain of it. So I enjoyed still being able to feel all of those things that I kind of had deterred me from getting the epidural is because I was afraid I wasn't going to experience any of that. But so kind of the whole time of pushing my husband is he's like there, but he, the two year old was also there and that really wasn't planned, but he was just so oblivious. He was like playing with his toys. A couple of times he, one time he looked over and he goes, he looks at my doctor who was older and he goes, Grandpa, what you doing? Which is kind of funny. We're like, no. Oh, that's it's cute. not Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but so that was kind of just, that was kind of it. I mean, all of a sudden we were there, we were pushing, and then um, I probably pushed for 45 minutes. It was kind of long. I had to do, I had to push 45 minutes times. isn't too long, actually. That's no, pretty, it's that's, not pretty short I mean I know like some moms that push for two three hours even so like oh. under an hour is really awesome mm-hmm. okay, yeah, usually about two hours <laughs> is the average for a first time mom one to two hours yeah one to yeah. two hours yeah so you were under an hour so it's really awesome so good job yeah thank you I just always seen people that say oh I pushed one or one or two times and they were out oh my gosh that's very fast my first V-back, so, I pushed for two hours. My third V-back, I, like, didn't even push. She just fell out after my water broke. It's, like, two and a half minutes. Like, I didn't even, I don't even think I blinked hard. Like, she just came out. Wow. <laughs> it is, is awesome. so different for are, everybody. <laughs> yeah. And she was my biggest Maybe those too. are just the stories. Yeah. I, mm. I, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's hard, too, when you're in labor, and it's frustrating sometimes. Yeah. So that was kind of it. And then all of a sudden, I mean, we did the pushing, and then he says, okay, next push, we're, he's going to be here. And so then everybody comes in, and they do the whole prep thing. But then, yeah, it was literally three more pushes, and he was there. And it was just such an amazing feeling that – we did it and it was done and and he was there and it was we were safe and it was just such an awesome experience that's so awesome yes I love it that's it's just so wonderful to like you know you have these like little bumps and things in the road where you're like "Eh, I don't know about that or you know and it's just Mm -hmm. so awesome and and like you said like you had all these plans in the beginning and it just always works out how it's supposed to. And we are so proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. I think being flexible in the plan helped us as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important. There's a couple things in your story that I just wanted to mention. Like for, first of all, I kinda wanna go back. I'm sorry, my mind's like spinning in like three different directions <laughs> right now. I'm like, which one do I want to take? Just pick a direction, Julie. From the very beginning we you know, we said that, you know, Megan and I, it's easy for us to say, like, in the areas that we typically serve up here in Salt Lake in Utah County, in Utah, we have a lot of providers that are not supportive, but we have, also have a lot of supportive 
providers and hospitals with supportive policies, but um, that's not true for a lot of other places. And so Megan and I have been talking about lately, like how we can, how we can speak to the people that don't have those options and how can we like understand and relate to those people better so that we can better serve you guys. And one of the things that we've been doing is kind of talking about it, talking about it like on our Facebook page and um, with people that we know and with our clients, like there are some VBAC bands really close by to us, fairly close by. I've had, I've had a couple of clients now in a County that's about two hours away from us that their closest hospital that will allow VBAC that does not have a VBAC band is literally where in the area that I serve. So they have no option except for repeat cesarean or to come up here for their VBAC. And I've supported clients like that before. And it is, and it is a hard decision to make. And sometimes that decision driving two to three hours for a supportive provider is not feasible. And so what are you supposed to do if that's not an option for you or you can't find the support that you need? Well, and I want to point out a couple of little things that you did do that are options. So first of all, like you, you kind of talked about a couple of different plans and then you had like a plan A and a plan B and then you were flexible with your plans. And they like kind of changed throughout your pregnancy. And then at the end, you, you, you were still flexible and things still kind of changed a little bit, but you understood all your options, what they were, and then you made it a, a decision that you felt comfortable with. And so I think that'd be the first thing is, is know what options are there because there's three types of providers when it comes to VBAC. One that's not supportive of all at all and won't allow it. There's a provider that's, you know, we use the word tolerant, which is like, okay, well, if everything goes perfectly and if you go into labor on your own before 40 weeks, then, you know, you can have a VBAC. And then there's VBAC supportive, which is providers who really are supportive of VBAC and and want you to VBAC and know that VBAC is a safe option and treat you like a first time mom in a lot of ways. So the other thing I want to talk about is that you hired a doula, hire somebody that's navigated your local birth culture before that can like kind of point you in the directions of a more supportive provider or knows the hospital staff where you're birthing at or things like that, because the doula support um, in this story really helped you and impacted your birth outcome. And another thing I wanted to say is like, just really educate yourself because we talk a lot and we emphasize a lot about intuition throughout our podcast, throughout our Instagram, our Facebook pages, in our comments, in our messages that we get when we talk to people. We always say, these are the facts, but trust your intuition. But here's the thing about intuition. Um, your intuition can tell you that something doesn't feel right. But if you're not educated about what those options are around that feeling, it's mm -hmm. going to be really hard for you to figure out where it doesn't feel right. And if it's fear leading versus like actual intuition. Right. So mm -hmm. learn as much as you can. We have a course. It's called How to VBAC, the Ultimate Preparation Guide for Parents. You can find more information on our website, thevbaclink.com slash courses. But we also have a blog. It's called Three Things You Need to Find Out About Your VBAC Provider. It is the very first blog on our blog page. Go to thevbaclink.com slash blog. You can find out exactly how to grill these providers to find out where on the scale they fall between non supportive and supportive and maybe there's somewhere in the middle in the tolerant zone so that's going to help you along your way as well so I just wanted to thank Allison so much for sharing your story today and I know you're going to inspire a lot of people I feel like 
every time we have a story, people are messaging us or commenting on our Instagram page about how their story helped them. So if Allison's story made you feel really warm and fuzzy today, find our posts on Instagram and Facebook. We're just the VBAC link on both and comment on those posts. We have a post just for Allison. It'll have a picture of her birth on there and let us know how the story made you feel. Or give us some more tips about how you navigated birth or VBAC with an unsupportive provider or hospital. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.